Welcome to the Musical Communication Podcast. I'm your host, Marianne Ploger, and during these podcasts, I'm looking forward to being able to explore all aspects of what it is to be musical, whether that is how we can be more musical as musicians or how we can understand why we love music and why we think it's musical or why it isn't. So we'll be exploring everything from how to perform music, how to listen to music, as well as aspects of music perception perception and cognition. Hi friends, welcome to another episode of the Musical Communication Podcast. My name is Karen and I am your host and I am sitting here with Marianne, your host. Hello, Marianne. Hello, Karen. Good to be here again. <laughs> yes, I'm so excited. Um, the Our previous episode on the elements was just so so inspiring and so thought-provoking that um, I'm excited for us to do a, a part two and just kind of go go deeper on what they mean and how to implement them. And, and I think in, in our case, like how to practice them. Like I know a lot of people I'm sure are just kind of thinking about what they know and also more importantly, what they don't know. And I feel like with new year impending and all of that, like it's just always really, really exciting to set some goals and some parameters for how to, how to improve and grow in our craft. So I'm, I'm excited for the conversation. Thank you, Karen. Well, I figure we'll start with rhythm here. And really what I'd love to do is to just talk about my approach and how we're going to deal with getting better at rhythm. With mm-hmm. everything, I think what's crucial is that we start with the idea that we already have a lot of these things within us. Now, I don't want to sound like Harold Hill um, <laughs> from The Music Man, that you just think music and it'll happen. <laughs> if only that would happen. But, uh, but uh, definitely, I, I think we need to start with the idea that we already have good rhythm and become more and more aware of that. And that uh, we also have a really good sense of of pitch. I think for some of us, it's more developed because we've sung more, we've had more of a relationship with pitch than some others, but that basically we're pretty aware. I mean, it's amazing to me, my mom, who was trained a little bit with music, she could tell a wrong note in a performance so fast, which made me very nervous as a kid. <laughs> but she could hear a performance, even if it were Van Colliburn, and if there was a wrong note there. Yeah. So that we can tell when things are not right. We can tell when the pitch is off, when somebody sings poorly. Uh, there's no doubt about it. In a good comedy show, when they have a little karaoke going on and somebody's singing who's terrible, uh, yeah. <laughs> I think all of us kind of uh, can laugh lovingly at that at that person. So we have a good sense of it. Uh, so we also have a very good sense of dichords, which really seems unbelievable. But if you can sing, for example, My Country, Tis of Thee, or some other tune that you really like, and it's even sort of in the ballpark, you're actually relying not only on pitches, but actually the dichords, so the distances and relationships between those pitches. So if I go, my country tis of thee, of course, I have a little problem there, don't I? <laughs> so, but um, even the fact that I got the first two notes as the same pitch was not bad. But um, fortunately, most of us could, if we heard the pitch, those pitches sung poorly, we would be able to tell the relationships are not correct. Mm-hmm. So that ultimately the dichords are what are steering those pitches. And the reason that we can transpose that melody, my country tis of thee, to different pitch levels, that means we're hearing a dichord stencil. We're hearing a series of relationships between pitches. 
and that we're able to move that whole stencil to different locations like we do when we paint stencil on the wall. Mm. Uh, we can move it to different parts of the wall and the stencil pattern remains the same. So those are the dichord relationships that are there. So all of these things are within us. And so we want to start with that, in my opinion. Now, my own feeling is that it all steps in learning. What's very important is that I am there to show you how to do something because we didn't have that taught to us when we were kids. Yeah. So I start, I don't care how advanced you are, unless you're able to do everything. And I'll check that out. If you are, I'm not going to waste our time. But most times folks are not, we don't know how to recognize these things. We haven't been told how to, even rhythms. So I'll be giving you the basics. So I want to start with rhythm. One of the things that I like to start with is the idea that we just have two beats. So just if we just say one beat and then another beat, and they're each of equal length. So I always like to say, if you want to keep beats of equal length, you just imagine that they're two bricks of equal size and that you want to try to keep the size the same from one beat to the next, and then just kind of relax. And I just recommend tapping beat one with your left leg on your left leg with your hand, and then beat two with your uh, right hand on your right leg, if you will, your thigh. So you just do that. So if we start out with just this idea of two beats, left, right, left, right, left, right, and then just think the numbers, one, two, one, two, one, two. What I do is I then use um, René Langy's fantastic rhythm number method that's used at the Juilliard School, I think to this day, mm -hmm. and uh, Madame uh, Langy taught there and, and helped people to develop very sophisticated rhythms, but she created something that is called the Langy page, which you can find in my book. And uh, But essentially, it's very brilliant, and essentially, okay, all we have to do is count one and two, and that we have only a certain possibilities here. We can have a sound on the first beat and the second beat, we can have no sound on either the first or the second beat. We can have a sound on the first beat, but not the second, or no sound on the first, but something on the second. So this is just wonderful. She wrote the numbers one, two on the first row. The next row, she wrote dot, dot, the dot representing a rest. Nothing happening on those two beats, even though you're imagining the beats, but no sound is happening, no articulation. And then the next one, okay, there's a one followed by a dot, meaning there's a one, on an articulated beat one and then nothing on beat two and then the next one is a dot followed by a two in the next line so they're just four lines one two dot dot one dot dot two and that you just are tapping uh, well thinking of those beats <laughs> going along and what she would ask you to do is mechanically say one two one Two, so on the same pitch. Yeah. And that's because she wants us to focus on not pitch, not one, two. One, two. <laughs> because you can't even tell where the things end, but you sing it almost as if it's on a pitch. Mm. And that this is the beginning. If you can do two, you can then do three, because then if you have three possibilities, you have numbers one, two, three. And she just goes through this whole system where she gives us all of the options. Now, for me, this is just me teaching, okay, we have beat one and beat two. Now we have a beat three. 
So how about going left, right, right? This is something I learned from a former student of mine, Laura Carmichael, and that she was learning that in, I think, at the Colburn Conservatory. At least she was studying in Los Angeles, as I recall. And so after she'd studied with me, she just showed me in the parking lot one day <laughs> that you basically have a one, two, which is left, right, and then a three pattern would be left, right, and right, moving up your knee so that each beat is in a different location on your lap. Hmm. I love that. Yeah. That's visual because I can see it on my lap in a different placement on my lap. It's kinesthetic or kinetic. That is, I can physically feel myself tapping the, the various beats in their various locations. And then finally, it's auditory because I can hear the tapping going on at, at the same time. So you know what? That's all there is to it is counting twos and threes <laughs> okay <laughs> a four is two twos and each beat is in a different location in your lap um, and but that's really simple left right move up your lap left right for a four one two three four one two three four five is a two plus a three or a three plus a two so basically what i do is help people to just get so that they can program that but very importantly once a concept has been taught, it's crucial that the person be able to improvise. That is, to do whatever you want, not what Madame Lange is teaching, which is crucial as the vocabulary, but you get to say whatever you want. Hmm. So if we just have a two pattern, we can just go one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, two. Two, two. Every time I tap on my right leg, it's two. Every yeah. time I tap on this side, and I can see the number one, and I can see the number two. So the idea is that you get to do what you want, that you get so that you're doing it, though, in time. And at first, the self-consciousness is natural, like when you're speaking a foreign language for the first time. Yeah. You know, you can be awkward, but just relaxing. So I use the Longy page to help with the development of the ability to count beats to keep track of where beats are happening and that um, then what I do is I definitely get us going right away into the Robert Starr rhythmic training method which is the one that Laura showed me uh, from her experiences out there in California Robert Starr or Starr S-T-A-R-E-R -E rhythmic training fantastic book I have all my students I don't care how advanced go mm -hmm. through each one of the exercises they must perform it flawlessly and rhythmically not just correctly but it mm -hmm. has to be rhythmically uh, potent and communicate and no error and it is now thank heaven for the technology recorded so the, each student records each of the exercises and they do not go on until they've been able to perfect each one, which they can do with the help of the elimination of the three causes of error. And having learned the principle and having improvised uh, a lot, then the result is that, that they develop in a natural way and they progress through each one of the chapters. It's a great method. I think it covers all of the bases. And I found it to be invaluable because unfortunately the only other rhythmic method I knew of was Paul Hindemith's elementary training for musicians mm -hmm. <laughs> and for any of you who have looked at that book it's 
time to crash and burn at about the midpoint because it's so difficult nobody can do it so even when i was at fontainebleau with all these brilliant other you know musicians um it was incredible none of us could do anything beyond the midpoint yeah uh, you know <laughs> so it was so challenging the star totally fills in all the blanks all right so then the important thing with the star is it provides us now with the literacy piece that is it's not just performing rhythms and feeling comfortable with them and counting rhythms and being able to hear my rhythm and being able to tell what i performed back to me but now it's reading and writing so now we're into the literacy piece mm. so in my own method that is what is very important as i believe we have to have first of all the hearing auditory identification then we have to have the speaking, thinking our own thoughts, speaking our own thoughts. And then finally, we have to add the literacy piece, reading and writing. What is the symbolic language in the code? And how do we write that down and read it fluently? So that's different than in other methods, which is just sort of here, just do this. And that those parts are not, I think, developed in a natural linguistic way. Yeah, I love that so much. And for those of you that heard um, Marianne talk about the three causes of errors, we have an entire series on this podcast. So if you haven't listened to those, go back. Um, we have each episode dedicated to the three various causes, and then we have one introducing what that is. So go back and listen to that. Um, I wanted to ask Marianne, like, how, just to quantify for me, like, how much we should practice rhythm on a daily basis? Well, that's an excellent question, Karen. Um, Ultimately, I think that whenever we're performing, we're practicing uh, rhythm. Mm -hmm. So the idea should be applied to any of our other practice. But I recommend to my students in general that they practice about eight minutes a day okay. on rhythm, on particular areas that we've been discussing together. So any more than that is probably a waste of your time, meaning you're probably having causes of error and need to address those uh, instead of being stumped by anything. So it's ultimately just kind of enjoying uh, practicing. Now, I personally feel that it's we need to practice five times for every three times we read music or perform other people's thoughts. We need to improvise. So if you're working on something in 4-4 and it's got 16th notes in it, you need to be improvising, going ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-
and and developing your vocabulary. That's what this terror is about, is each exercise gives you a new aspect of vocabulary, uh, rhythmic vocabulary. And again, you could probably easily repeat back what I did, but you might not be consciously aware of it. So the improvisation allows us to synchronize those two aspects we talked about in the last podcast, which is, you know, our metaconsciousness and our awareness, conscious awareness. That's so good. I love that term, metaconsciousness. Um, When you're working with your students in in your private studio, what are some of the the most common uh, rhythmic mistakes or or areas that you find people are are deficient? Oddly enough, of course, when you're having to deal with fast tempi, you have to develop that vocabulary so that you can count faster and faster. One, two, four, one, two, three, four, one. Instead of one, two, three, four, you're doing it much faster. But the real problem, I think, Karen, comes from the fact that they're in a Zoom a lot of times. The biggest problem I deal with is the fact that when things get complicated, people tend to concentrate. And that means that in my metaphor of the eagle, uh, it's as if there's this hand pushing the eagle down into the backs of these bolting deer that are going all over the place. That's a mistake. The deer, if it, the deer, I should say the eagle, if it were allowed to fly. (laughs) Only deer. Well, I guess it's Christmas time. So, but anyway, (laughs) see the reindeer. But anyway, the idea is that the eagle should be backing its way up and being able to then more easily understand what's happening. So, the biggest challenge I deal with with folks is actually relaxing and trusting rhythmic hierarchy. Because their tendency is one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two. It's like, yeah. wow, that eagle is just right on the back of those bolting deers instead of one, two, three, four, two, two, three, four, three, two, three, four, four, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, two, two, three, four, three, two, three, four, four, two, three, four. Now it's got rhythmic hierarchy and it begins to sound like language because we do not think like this. <laughs> it's too much information coming at the brain. Yeah. It has to be hierarchized so it can be organized in our perceptions. So, uh, all I have to do is help them to trust more backup and uh, trust more. And their brain will fill with metaconsciousness. The more they consciously try to do that, the more awkward and unfortunate <laughs> is the experience. Yeah. Oh my goodness. This is so good. And as far as you just describe everything with, with such ease and and just the lack of complication and I feel like I ask you this every episode but like (laughs) why do we complicate this like we we've talked about you know there's we have our circadian rhythm we have our breathing we are walking our speech like this is such a big part of us like why why does this get over dramatized or over complicated well I think you're asking that is so important Karen because I think it is this difficulty with conscious awareness being a toddler initially. So I think that the reason we overcomplicate it is it feels so clumsy. And as adults, especially, we don't like feeling clumsy. And we think there's something wrong. And uh, so that, but then we want to micromanage it. And the mistake is that we're not allowing these natural things to be able to create flow. So this is what's so frustrating. You get somebody like Stevie Wonder, or you get these great, fantastic musicians who can just create, and it seems so easy and effortless for them. But you get the feeling they're not trying to control 
Mm. Whereas the novice is trying to control. And to me, trying to control is like trying to control a toddler when that toddler is trying to learn to walk. We have to understand that our conscious awareness is a toddler until it's not, until it becomes masterful. But when it becomes masterful, it's not controlling. It is allowing. Mm. It will never be controlling, in my opinion, in music. And almost all the greatest musicians will say they acquire mastery, but then they have to let it go. They can't be sitting there trying to control it. It's, it's out of their control. It's too complicated, two-dimensional for their conscious awareness, I believe. Mm. So all we have to do is let it go. We have to learn in small steps. You know, I was mentioning in my last podcast about, you know, singing a pitch and being able to do this, being, okay, go to the piano and try to sing that F. The thing is, we have to take small steps and be humble Mm. and then appreciative of any little progress initially, but avoid the vanity Mm. of control. I mean, I'm very strict about how things have to go. I mean, things things have to be done correctly or you're going to do them again. That's just yeah. all there is to it. But that it does not happen if you're sitting there and you're stiff and you're, you're too close. You're in fear mm. instead of in love. And I think that's the secret. The secret is it has to be joyful. That's how children learn best. That's why children learn best. And that's how we learn best is to just take a breath and enjoy the feeling and sensation and the flow. Let ourselves get into flow and not be so doggone serious about it. That's so amazing. I love that so much. I want to ask one more thing before we wrap up. Uh, And this might be rather spicy or problematic, but <laughs> I'm curious about, um, and I'll, maybe I'll speak for myself. Like there, all of this sounds awesome and I'm excited to dig into it and to, to do it, but there's also a huge feeling of overwhelm mm-hmm. and, and like it feels insurmountable or it might feel like it's never going to happen for me or not that I'm defective, not, not egotistical, but it's more of like, will I have the stamina or the bandwidth to actually get to that next level? Like, is that possible? I'm sure I can't be the only one. So what do you say to, to your students when they have that mindset where maybe the it's week after week and they don't pass to that next rhythmic exercise and they just want to, you know, throw the book out the window. Like (laughs) what, what happens there? Mm. I'll say there are 12 pitches (laughs) and 11 dichords and each rhythm can be counted in twos and threes. Let's not make mountains out of molehills. This is why there are these geniuses floating around there. This is why Mozart, when he was four, could you know write a symphony, begin his mm. studies like at, at that level. Um, I think it's it's what we see with people who are savants, you know, people who have autism who can do these amazing things. They're using less of their brain, not more to be able to succeed. So a lot of it is keep it simple. 
I won't add the stupid there, but, <laughs> but, but definitely um, keep it, I think are keeping it simple and uh, building it from that point is the thing I'm most gratified by. So with my students, if they've had difficulty with an exercise, um, by the way, it doesn't happen very, very much. And usually the thing that I'll be correcting them on, well, can you be adding more joy? You know, can mm-hmm. you have an affect that isn't so concerned or so can, can you, let's, let's just say, can try and playful, accurate, absolutely accurate, but can you make it have a different affect? Can you have it be noble? Can you have it be lighthearted? Can you have it be serene? Can you have it be humble or tender? instead of concerned and mm. control that's usually well why i'll ask them to do something again on occasion there might be something where they didn't notice but it's never a judgment you know for me it's just like ooh, good you get another chance to do this great yeah. and i'm looking forward to hearing the next version for goodness sake so the idea is that it becomes normal to be doing things correctly that it isn't freakish or pressure-filled. It's just normal. I can read a paragraph without stumbling over the words. Yeah, that's I mean. so good. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. That should be a shirt. There's only... <laughs> <laughs> so good. Um, any final thoughts before we wrap up? Well, essentially, go forth and be... Enjoy. I think that's what we have to remember. That has to be there. And yes, we're going to be expressing things that are very deep and very tragic in many cases. But we have to do that. We have to pursue those with compassion. And that means we cannot be in fear. I love that. That's so good. And thank you, Marianne, for like talking in this way. Like, I just feel that with our, our training and also just even the, the way the world is feeling right now. Like it's, it's so refreshing to hear that there's nothing wrong with you and that, you know, it is available to all of us to be able to do these things. And, yes. and I, I love the pursuing the, the joy and, and the play. Like we just, we don't do enough of that in our society. No. And it, in my experience, it doesn't work to do anything else. Mm. Yeah. Ah, well, thanks again, Marianne. I'm so Thank excited. You, I'm always just like, so <laughs> just, hot in these episodes. I'm like, oh, this is so amazing. And I'm just so, so pumped. And I know everybody listening is also just so blessed by your information and by um, spending time with you. So if y'all think of it, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. This is the only way that people find us. Feel free to follow Marianne on Facebook and Instagram. um, And we will see you next week.